Welcome to Coming Clean, the podcast dedicated to common sense environmental dialogue, environmental optimism, and real environmental solutions. This show is proudly powered by Orsted. Welcome back to another episode of Coming Clean with your host, Benji Backer. I am joined by my friend Curtis Moore today, who's the VP of Corporate Development at Energy Fuels. And the reason that we're having Curtis on is for many, well, there's many reasons, but one of the most important ones is uh, that he is obviously the VP of Energy Fuels, but that company is the leading U.S. producer of uranium uh, in the United States, also mines for other uh, critical minerals, for other clean energy industries, but they were directly you know, impacted by the recent decision by President Biden to set aside 1 million acres of land uh, near the Grand Canyon uh, in a place that they have coined the term Baj Nawavjo. Uh, I think I, I think I got that right. Uh, but uh, but really excited to have Curtis here to talk about that process and, and what that means for the future of, of energy production in the, in the United States, of mineral production in the United States, um, especially because they operate a mine uh, the only operating mine in the border of this new monument. So, Curtis, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Benji. I'm a, it's a pleasure to pleasure to chat with you today. Yeah, I'm really excited for you to share your your insight into this because I thought the the response that the company gave was a very nuanced one. Um, wasn't saying that we should you know not protect this land uh, because you guys obviously care about the environment and and what's going on in that area and the importance of it to local communities. But also saying that there is, you know, a need for energy development, and there's no perfect place to do that. But before we get into that, I just think it's helpful to to go over what this actually means for the local environment there. So basically, two weeks ago, President Biden announced this new national monument, one million acres. Like I said, uh, it's meant to preserve land that includes canyons, plateaus, uh, a lot of plants and wildlife that are unique to that area, the Native American communities uh, locally. Uh, a lot of them were hoping that this would happen uh, because they see this area as a significant place for their community. Of course, this is a very politically relevant state. Uh, and so President Biden, uh, by doing this, of course, aids his efforts to get reelected in 2024. Um, it doesn't hurt, <laughs> for sure. Uh, and he also tied this issue to climate change and the importance of uh, preserving this, this acreage, uh, which I'm not Exactly sure what the connection to that is, uh, but would love to get into that as well. Um, but the the so there's a lot of positives there in in terms of preserving that land and and serving you know the Native American communities that uh, you know see this as an important place. But as we'll talk about today, it lessens the ability to mine for the critical minerals that we need for our uh, energy future. One of those is uranium, um, and that's obviously what we need for fuel for nuclear energy. So. I guess broadly uh, speaking, what do you think about the decision by the Biden administration, and how does it impact your ability as a company, as the only company operating within that uh, boundary, to to continue doing business there? Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you, Benji, it is an extremely complicated issue, <laughs> right? Um, the Grand Canyon is is one of the great natural wonders of the world. Um, you know, I myself have spent. Uh, honestly, probably more time in the Grand Canyon than than, than most people. Um, one one of my big hobbies is actually whitewater uh, floating and rafting and that sort of thing. I've actually rode my own boat down the Grand Canyon a couple of times. It is honestly a a, a life changing experience. I, I cannot recommend that experience more to people. Um, 
And so I understand what people are, are trying to do t- in terms of, you know, wanting to protect the Grand Canyon. Oil. But at the same time, some of America's most um, uh, uh, valuable, uh, richest uranium deposits also occur in that region. Um, you know, we, we can't help where, where uranium occurs. And of course, uranium is the fuel uh, for nuclear energy. Um, you know, the, 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 you know, President Biden talked about that, you know, this uh, uh, monument being necessary for the, uh, you know, for, for climate change. But at the same time, um, you know, you know, uranium, which is used for nuclear energy and nuclear provides uh, about 20 percent of all electricity in the United States and about 50 yep. percent of our carbon free electricity in the United States. And now uh, through this action, uh, we've cut off some of our best uh, best fuel for this carbon free electricity. So. You know, there's a lot of paradoxes here. There's a lot of contradictions. Um, I'll also say there's a lot of just sort of flat out misinformation uh, surrounding uh, uranium mining and and, uh, and and these issues. And um, you know, in terms of our operations, you know, we do have a mine uh, that is uh, that is about to go into operation. We don't think it's going to be impacted uh, by, by this monument designation. But one of the problems is is that now all future uranium deposits and all future mines in that region are now going to be cut off. Um, you know, I, I think that this was maybe a case where politics uh, 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 sort of took the forefront to science and to, uh, to, to reasonable policy. But, um, but you know, I'm, I'm not the one in charge. <laughs> so, uh, right. yeah, no, it, again, there, uh, there are a whole host of, of, of issues we can talk about here. Yeah. And one of the first ones that I want to touch on, just so people get a lay of the land, is so the Grand Canyon is obviously protected by the National Park Service. It has been for a very long time. What's different about this? Where is this relative to it? And you know, I know you you guys have this this mine that's about to go into operation about ten miles south of Grand Canyon. Is this just expanding the region around the Grand Canyon? Can you explain that? Yeah. So as you said, the the Grand Canyon has been inside of a national park I think since 1919, and so it's it's been prote- uh, protected within a national park for over a hundred years. And I believe that the current size of the national park is about 1.3 million acres. And I think, you know, a lot of people have trouble trying to visualize how big that is, but it is a huge piece of land. I mean, I don't know how that compares to, say, the size of state, size of states like Rhode Island or, you know, Delaware or some of, some of our smaller states, but it, it's, it's a big chunk of, of, of states, right, when you're talking about that much land. And so this new monument designation basically was land near the Grand Canyon right outside the Grand Canyon National Park. And I think it was a, a little over 900,000 acres. So now, ostensibly, there's, there's over 2 million acres that's now been set aside for the protection of the Grand Canyon. And again, I get it why people want to protect the Grand Canyon. But, but you know, the, the, these uranium deposits that, that occur there, these are a part of the natural environment there. Whether you're mining them or not, these things are going to erode inside the Grand Canyon. Eventually, they are very rich. They've been mined actually since the late 1970s, with zero adverse impacts to uh, the environment, to groundwater, to, to 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 really you know to wildlife, to anything in the region. And uh, again, we just think this was possibly a, an example of you know science and facts on the ground taking kind of a backseat to politics. Now, I'll also back up a, real quickly and say. I also understand why Native American communities are skeptical of uranium mining, because uh, a lot of the historic uranium mining that occurred in the United States 
kind of back in the Cold War, you know, back in the 1950s into the 1960s. And again, this was a totally different era. This is when uranium mining was essentially a government defense program because we were building up our nuclear arsenal. Uh, this is kind of before the days of nuclear energy and uh, understanding the, the benefits of, of nuclear and the carbon-free aspects of it. And a lot of that stuff happened on, on, on native land. And there was a lot of contamination, a lot of health impacts, a lot of things that happened to them that still right. persist today you know, to their parents, their grandparents, their ancestors and all that. And so I understand the skepticism of it, but unfortunately, I think there's some anti-nuclear groups that are out there that, that are sort of exploiting that, uh, that skepticism to, to oppose uranium mining and their broader efforts to stop nuclear energy, which I think is kind of a shame. Well, they're applying the, the technologies and the ways of the world from the 50s, 60s, when we were desperately trying to, to compete uh, globally in a Cold War with really bad technology and really bad environmental standards. They're comparing that to today and, of course, instilling a lot of fear in, in a lot of people's minds about this. Uh, you know, as you said, this has been happening near the Grand Canyon for a long time. It doesn't have an impact on the Grand Canyon because it's not, it's not in the Grand Canyon and it's also not changing the landscape. When people think of mining, they think of these huge es- excavations of, of land. And I mean, I live in Arizona, so I'm familiar with this. I mean, even when you fly into Phoenix, you can see going over the mountains, multiple areas where that have just been completely destroyed by copper mines and other areas or, or other materials. That is obviously necessary in wherever it is in the world. Some, somewhere is going to have to look like that for us to get those materials. But of course, people are like, okay, well, I don't want something to look like that near the Grand Canyon. Can you explain if that's what it would look like if you guys were able to do what you want to do in, in that area? If not, why is it different? Yeah, no, it won't. You know, the, these deposits I'm talking about are really unique. They're called breccia pipes. And so and what, what I ask people to do is, is imagine a pipe standing on its end, and that pipe is maybe 50 to 150 feet in diameter, and maybe 1,500 feet to maybe 2,000 feet tall. And so these, these, these deposits are actually mined using small underground mining techniques. So you're not going to see a big open pit mine or a, a massive disturbance of, uh, uh, you know, of the land on the surface. You know, actually, the, the total surface disturbance of these mines is about 15 acres, which is probably about the size of your average grocery store, right? And it, it's, it's, it's not what a lot of people think about when you think about mining. But the uranium that is contained within that tiny little area is massive. And again, keep in, keeping in mind that this is carbon-free, clean electricity, clean power. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, so, so you'll have about 15 acres of total disturbance. You'll see a head frame, which is basically just kind of a kind of a, a metal structure that operates basically an elevator that goes down into the deposit. You know, up to you know, like Pinion Plain, our mine that we're starting up right now goes down to about fifteen hundred feet. You kind of mine that deposit out from the side. You bring the ore up to the surface, and then you 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 don't process that ore on the site. <laughs> you actually take it to a mill. Uh, we own a mill in southeast Utah. You truck it over there, and uh, that's where you recover the uranium, and then. And keeping in mind, this is all just natural uranium. This is actually not highly radioactive material. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about uranium and, and honestly about radiation in, in a lot of respects. But this is not highly enriched. It's not ready to be put into a nuclear reactor. It has to go through a lot more processing before it can produce electricity. In the grand scheme of the things, these things, this stuff is actually pretty benign. 
Um, I've heard it said that the uh, the, the hazards of, of natural uranium, again, this is uranium as it occurs in nature, is not that it's radioactive, is that it's it's toxic. It's a heavy metal. It's kind of like you don't want to eat lead. You don't want to eat uranium. <laughs> so, you know, it, that that's more of what we're talking about here. But once we're done, uh, these mines typically only last for about four or five, six years. So they're fairly short lived. Uh, once we're done, we, 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 you know, we, we remove all the structures from that site. We remove any, you know, it's kind of residual hot spots that might be on the surface. That's just sort of soil or rock, you know, that maybe contains some uranium in it. We remove that, take that to the mill. We plug the shaft and that's it. I mean, you can actually go back to using this land for camping. You can graze on it. You can use a wildlife conservation, whatever you want after we're done with it. This is about as low impact as commercial mining gets. And so the only impacts that would be visible to the eye are really under the, the ground, yeah. right? I mean, that's above ground, there's not really much of an impact, exactly. that correct? So what are the concerns that people have, whether that's native communities or, or local environmental organizations, and, and what would you say are, are wrong about those concerns or right? Yeah, so I'd say that the biggest concern that we hear about is, is the potential for groundwater contamination. Again, for my, you know, drawing on my experience from the uh, being down in the Grand Canyon for a long time, um, there are these springs and these seeps um, that just literally come gushing out of the canyon walls. It's it's really a, a sight to behold, um, where there's this beautiful water, almost like little gardens of Eden down there yeah. in the middle of the desert. Keeping in mind, right? I mean, this this is a very arid part of the world, and there's there's flowers, there's wildlife, there's amazing vegetation, there's just you know, this clear water, cold water coming out of the canyon walls. And, um, you know, so I think a lot of the concern that people have is that somehow those springs or somehow these, these water sources would become contaminated. You know, one of the ma main ones is called Havasu Creek, uh, which is uh, probably about 40 miles to the west, northwest of our mine site right there. And, I mean, you go down there, it's like these turquoise blue waters and travertine pools and falls. I mean, and it, I can go on and on about how amazing this stuff is, but, but there's, you know, people that have been led to believe that there's some risk of contamination from these little mines to sources of water, like, like Havasu Creek and Havasu Springs and all that, when there is just literally no science to support that. These things have been studied extensively. We have a great knowledge of the, of the groundwater systems, of the geology, the hydrogeology, all that to, to know that, 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 that there's just no connection between these mines and these and these 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 aquifers that that feed those springs. Yeah, again, I, I could go through our permits. I could go through all the studies. I mean, there is just a, you know a crazy amount of science <laughs> that shows that there's just zero risk uh, to to the to those things in the Grand Canyon or to any groundwater. But I think that's one of the biggest risks that people see. And uh, you know, again, this historic uranium mining that occurred like on the Navajo Nation from you know back in the fifties and sixties. Those were totally different deposits in a totally different part of the world where, yeah, there, there was groundwater contamination that occurred. And actually, some of that is still persisting today. Now, it's, it's, a lot of that is based on the, on the historic practices they used. And, you know, there was just, you know, look, things were a lot different in the 50s and 60s. I mean, look at the, look at the cars we were driving, right? Right. It's, it's really no different in heavy industry. And, and when you're talking about, you know, the mining that's required, I mean, we've, we've evolved and we've gotten better just like everybody has. Yeah, I mean that's a really good point, and and you know what from what I'm getting here is that you know scientifically it's backed up that you know this is a very non-invasive you know way to to get material, and and obviously 
far less invasive than let's say a lithium mine uh in you know the congo or something where you're you're really destroying the environment or a copper mine and not to say that we don't need those things we do need those materials for our for our future but this seems to be fairly you know low in terms of its intensity to the local environment i guess for people who would say okay maybe that's true but we still don't want to risk the groundwater near the Grand Canyon uh, being affected. We don't want to risk having even 15 acres underground be impacted. Let's just do it somewhere else. I was reading that, you know, this is potentially a very small percentage of the uranium deposits in the United States. What would you say to people who have kind of that pushback of saying, you know what, let's just try to do it somewhere else? Is that is that an easy thing to do, or or what makes that complicated? If not, well, you know, we we don't choose where the uranium is, right? Right. It, it is where it is, and uh, these are the highest grade uranium deposits in the United States. And when you're talking about grade, that 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 refers to the richness of the uranium in the in the rock, you know, in the ore that you pull out. Uh, these are actually some of the highest grade uranium deposits in the world, actually outside of Canada. Um, and definitely the highest grade uranium deposits in the United States. And when you're talking about high grade, that usually also uh, relates to lower cost. So it doesn't cost as much. You don't have to move as much rock to, re- to, to recover the, sa- the, the amount of uranium that you need when it's higher grade. It, re- it uh, uh, re- uh, refers to lower impact. It refers to you know, higher accessibility and all that. And so, yeah, I mean, there's uranium. But look, uranium is, the, is one of the most common elements in the Earth's crust, believe it or not. It's as common as tin, okay? So yes, we could recover uranium. You could go out in your backyard and, and dig that up and probably pull out some uranium, right? But it'd be very expensive. It's not all that accessible. It'd be very destructive, right? And so you know that that's what uh, that that's those are the trade-offs. And when you're talking about mining, uh, when you're talking about just anything that we need for our modern society, there are trade-offs, right? There's no perfect way to do this. We don't have unicorns that'll 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 produce clean electricity for ourselves, right? Um, and so. Again, the, these mines have been studied extensively. And, and again, I think there's been about nine or 10 of these mines that have operated since the late 1970s. So this is not really a new thing in this area. So these, these are these particular brechapite mines that are in northern Arizona, very high grade. They started mining these in the late 1970s. And again, the 70s were kind of a seminal era when that's really when we started caring about the environment. That's when you had the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, NEPA. The Endangered Species Act, all those laws got passed, and there was a much greater consciousness of what you were doing to the environment to to to, to produce these minerals. And so these mines started being mined in the late '70s, so almost 50 years ago. And so we have a lot of data, we have a lot of uh, you know experience with mining these things, and it's been studied extensively. And there's just no impact, no impact to groundwater, no impact to the Grand Canyon, no impact to wildlife. Um, it's been shown that these are just very low impact, very low cost, very valuable clean energy resources, which unfortunately are, are now tied up in a national monument. Yeah, it sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, what you're saying is that you know there are other uranium deposits around this country, but this is some of the easiest, lowest cost, most accessible mm-hmm. opportunities that we have in this country to, to find uranium right now yep. uh, and, and get it for what we need in the short term. I mean, uh, we've got a nuclear power plant not too far from from this, you know, national monument in Arizona, the Palo Verde uh, in nuclear plant, and that yes, there are other uranium deposits, but they're far harder to 
reach and far harder to obtain the materials from. Is that well, correct? And, yeah, and 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 a much greater environmental impact. I mean, mm. yeah, I mean, you, I mean, there's 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 big uranium deposits elsewhere in the United States, but you might actually have to go and create a big open pit mine like those copper mines you were you were describing, where there is a lot of uh, a lot of environmental. It- this is this is where I mean, sorry to cut you off. I mean, this this is where this environmental conversation just gets so backwards because. In the name of saving the environment, we're harming the environment yep. because we ha- we have to be able to mine for uranium, for lithium, for cobalt, for copper. And you might as well do it where you're going to have the least amount of environmental impact. And if I had the choice to say 10 miles away from the Grand Canyon. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. We could have a non-invasive process to get uranium out of the ground in a low-cost way that would lower the cost of energy as well. Or we could cancel that because it's close to the Grand Canyon and we're scared of these ramifications that aren't actually going to happen with groundwater and, and other sorts of environmental impacts. And instead, we're going to move that to, let's say, Wyoming in another beautiful place where we're going to have a much larger environmental impact for way more money and get the same amount of uh, material. Why, why, are we, why are we doing this? I mean... The, the way that we've been thinking about environmentalism is so based on the surface level, no pun intended, of what sounds good. And so, yes, mining near the Grand Canyon to the average person does not sound good. It doesn't sound good to me. I live in Arizona, and the Grand Canyon is one of the few places that uh, I would attribute to, my, to creating my love of the environment. But if you can mine for something 10 miles away from there that can power clean energy for this country and not have an impact on the Grand Canyon or the local environment, then why aren't we doing it? And it just seems like we're letting this emotion that we understandably all feel about protecting the environment get in the way of the actual facts and logic of the argument when we know that there are trade-offs and we know that there's no perfect place to mine. But all things considered, this would be our best opportunity um, or one of the best opportunities to, to get what we need to power this, this country um, with clean with clean electricity without harming the environment. Well, and, and, and that's you're making some great points here, Benji. Now, keeping in mind, you know, we probably can't power the United States on these mines in Arizona. You know, they, right. you know, but 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 you know, we should. Tr- I would think try to you know trend toward having a lower impact on the environment as much as possible. We're still going to need these big mines, you know, in Wyoming or in Canada or in Russia or you know, Africa, you know, wherever these things are, you know, Alex because Song. this. This clean energy transition that we're in is is great, but you know it's kind of like you know I, I tell people it's like you may not may, you may not like fossil fuels, and I get that, but you you better love mining because right. it, it it we're, we're moving from a much less sort of you know a fuel driven sort of a sort of a economy uh, or energy system to a much more sort of material driven uh, sort of an energy system. Whether you're talking about nuclear energy or, or wind energy or solar power or electric vehicles or, you know, all these battery technologies out there, they're very, uh, they're very material intensive. 
and you need materials from mines. And so, you know, but we should try to mine those materials in the least invasive way possible. And so that's why, you know, these mines we're talking about in Arizona, I think meets that criteria. So yeah, again, there's no perfect way to do this. It's it, there's lots of trade-offs you have to consider. Yeah, and I guess when it comes to the trade-offs, our politicians should be weighing those trade-offs and try to make the best decisions possible. I guess, you know, there's probably a lot of individuals within the Biden administration that pushed to make this happen. What was that process like? Um how did it unfold? I mean, you guys to my understanding are the really the only company that would have this amount of stake in the current mining in this in this area. So how much were you consulted with? How much were you asked about it? I'm I'm sure they tried to include other communities as well. What did that process look like, and 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 how were you guys involved? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, and I'm happy to talk to you about that. First off, I do want to make it clear that we are pretty grateful to the administration for at least letting our corrupt mine go forward. It appears, um, you know, again, we we don't agree with the policy of cutting off all these future uranium deposits because. As we've been talking about, these are low impact, low cost, great sources of clean energy for us. It seems to go against a lot of um, a lot of their policies. But that aside, yeah, it was a very quick process. Now, you know, there have been some uh, some people out there who have been agitating for a national monument in this location for many, many years. Um, it started to get a little bit of traction this year, um, where there was a couple of bills introduced in both houses of Congress to create this national monument, and then. In uh, April, uh, uh, Interior Secretary uh, uh, Deb Holland she came and visited this area. Uh, you know, uh, sort of in the in the it, that, that was in April or May, I think, of this year. You know, just to listen to the locals about what they thought about a national monument, and then we didn't really hear anything about it. Um, kind of in early to mid July, uh, we heard that there was a public meeting happening in Flagstaff, Arizona, to just to gather public comments on a national monument. And, you know, we weren't even sure what we were commenting on. I mean, are we commenting on the legislation in Congress? Was the White House considering a monument designation under the Antiquities Act or what was going on there? And then, uh, you know, and so we, we, we participated in that. We, we submitted a few comments and then come whatever it was in early August, next thing you know, the president declared a monument under the Antiquities Act. It was a, a very rushed process. I think there wasn't a at least, I don't. I mean, look, I don't want to say that the White House didn't really think about, you know, the the, the ramifications of all this, but um, I do think the politics played a, a lot of this. But, but you know, yeah, I just think we just need to just keep keep doing our work to informing people and making sure that people know that we've got a great clean energy resource there that can be mined responsibly, so we shouldn't cut it off permanently. Well, and you look at. You know who is there, and obviously President Biden and and Governor Katie Hobbs, uh, you know, were present, and and it does seem to be a political stunt in a lot of ways. Again, there's not that's not to say that there's not a reason to do it. A lot of good things happen for political stunts, but it does it does seem like this was something that wasn't well thought through. After hearing you talk about how quick and rushed and not include inclusive the process was. Um, like you said, it's good that they've set aside the ability to, at least for now, keep going with, with what you've built um, with this one mine that you have planned. But um, it just seems like, again, the trade-offs were con weren't considered. And when I was, you know, I, I didn't watch the entire press conference, but when I read kind of, so the quotes, it seemed like 
a little backwards, like, oh, we're doing this to fight against climate change. And it's like, how does setting aside land in a desert fight climate change when there's no, like, I mean, there's very, it's not, nothing before or after is changing up lower or carb, lower or higher carbon emissions. Like, it's not increasing or decreasing carbon emissions at all. And in fact, one could argue to your point that it's decreasing our ability to use clean energy because we have to rely on other countries or just not have the fuel that we need for our our clean energy sources like nuclear. So it does seem like, you know, everyone hearing from President Biden that setting aside this land is so good for the climate, like sounds really good, but then it's like, where's the merit to that? And if there is merit, can you tell us why? And I think I don't know if President Biden would be able to answer why is this good for the climate. I I can see why it's justified to be good for Native communities. They 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 want this to be protected. It's a sacred site for them. Whatever. I can see why conservationists would want it. But I don't see their their main reason that they talked about was the climate. And from my understanding, from this conversation and from everything I've read, it actually would have a negative impact on the climate. But yet they're branding it as that a year before a presidential election in a state that's purple. I, it just does seem a little bit weird. I, I, I don't disagree. I, I, you'll have to ask them how this will improve the climate problem. I'm not sure they want to be asked for that, but uh, I digress. I mean, I, I guess what, what I really get frustrated by, again, is just that this environmental conversation is being distracted by the politics. And of course, we've, we've talked about this. It's really bad on the other side, too. I mean, we're I'm being critical of the Biden administration. I mean, I think Trump would probably go to the opposite side and say we should be doing as much as we want on these lands without caring. I mean, that's bad. That's really bad, too. So there's there's a middle ground to be found, but it doesn't seem like the Biden administration was interested in that. And that's obviously not unique to the Biden administration with how politics are these days. Yeah, I mean, look, it's 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 politically it's very appealing to be saving the Grand Canyon in the Grand Canyon state. Yeah. And like you said, or, or to be you ask, appear as doing that, yeah, I, appearing to do that. They yes. don't want to get it confl- conflated. I mean, the Grand Canyon's protected. Yeah, That's, yeah. That will be protected for eternity. Yes. This is the area around the Grand Canyon, which should be protected as well. And I think that you would argue should be as well, and that this doesn't get in the way of protecting yeah, the area. Yeah, and just because there's not a national monument there doesn't mean this the, the, that land that is now in the monument is going to be overrun by a bunch of uranium mines. I mean, right. you know, you still have to go through an extensive and very detailed multi-year permitting process to ensure that you're not going to affect groundwater or affect right. you know, wildlife or the environment and any health or anything. So, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, that's even a, see, a separately its own conversation right now is whether or not the permitting process should take so long. And even Democrats have been against it being such a cumbersome process. And so. Like you said, even if it's not a national monument, that doesn't mean you can just overrun no. it. I mean, you, you have you have almost a decade long process without a national monument to be able to to actually do something well, it, in that it, area. You know, I don't know if this is getting off track, but you know, this whole thing about creating these national monuments, you know, just because you slap a monument designation on a bunch of land, doesn't mean that the resources to manage that land are there, right? Where you know, right. it, it takes money to to have rangers, to have roads, to have trails, to have visitor centers, interpretive you know, signs, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's, I think, you know, I, I've personally seen this like with Bears Ears National Monument that got uh, de- uh, declared, 
in Southeast Utah, you used to be able to go out on these roads and see nobody out there. Now, all of a sudden, you put a monument designation and it's like a magnet for all these people to go mm-hmm. out there. And it's starting to be kind of overrun with with people. And there's no money to actually manage it. I, I mean, in some respects, I wonder if it's further degrading the land <laughs> by declaring right. monuments without funding to manage it. Well, yeah, and that's a big problem. And, and where do you get the funding? It's, right. it's really easy to say, oh, well, just fund them more. It's like we we helped pass a bill in 2013 to to fund our national park system. Again, very much in favor of, of protecting these lands. 100%. It was really difficult to get that across the finish line because they were billions of dollars in debt. These are just national parks, not national monuments, not national forests, which are often way, way, way more under. Yep. Um, and it took almost a decade to get that policy across the finish line, and it only funded up until that point. So now it's back into debt again. Yep. So it's, it's, it's a really difficult process, and, it, and it, what sounds good not necessarily is always good. Um, we only have time for two more questions. I've got two really important ones, I think. And, and one of them is when you think about mining in the United States, and I'm not just talking about uranium, but you know this landscape really well. Most of the areas that are mined or available for mining in the United States are going to be in non-developed natural areas, mm-hmm. whether that's in the Boundary Waters in Minnesota or uh, in the foothills of the mountains in Wyoming or near the Grand Canyon. How do you see this playing out? How do you see the future of mining in this country playing out when so many of the deposits of minerals are in the most beautiful places or they're in sacred spots for Native American communities? Do you see us just continuing to go overseas for this because it's out of sight, out of mind? Or do you feel like there, there needs to be or will be a return to, to being willing to, to do this in the United States? How do you see the future of mining playing out when the natural spaces are going to be affected by this? I think a lot of it will depend on how educated citizens are and ordinary voters are. Um, today, I, 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 if nothing changes, I think we'll continue to offshore this. Out of sight, out of mind. You know, people want their computers, they want their electric vehicles, they want their, you know, reliable, you know, energy, their iPhones, you know, whatever it is. Um, but they don't want to, to think about, you know, the icky part of that, <laughs> right? The mining, the processing, the, you know, yeah, I mean, but but it is a complete reality with this modern society that we're in. Um, now, with that being the case, when you start offshoring all this stuff to places, you know, in Africa and Asia and, you know, wherever it is, I can assure you they're not doing it as responsibly as we would do it in the United States. We have the highest environmental health, you know, safety, you know, what, you know, you, you name it, whatever, you know, standards are there in the world, there are in the world, we have the highest ones here in the United States. And just because we stop it here in the United States doesn't mean that it's not going to occur somewhere else. And it's probably going to occur somewhere else that doesn't do it to nearly the high standards that we do here in the United States. Um, so I would like to think that, that people will become more educated about where their things come from. You know, where, is your, where does your cell phone come from? Where does your computer come from? Where does your car come from? Where does your house come from? Whatever it is. And, and then understand that that stuff had to be mined or it had to be grown. <laughs> okay. And that's, yep. look, everything around you was mined or it was grown. That, that, that's, that's the truth. And so just because, again, you're stopping it here in the States doesn't mean that it's not happening. And so having that lowest possible impact on the environment, we need to do some of that stuff here in the United States. 
I completely agree. And if we don't, um, you know, we're just going to destroy the rest of the world. And, and honestly, I think that there is an argument. Um, and I'm not, you know, you probably can't say this, but I would say that this is an argument to try to diversify the future of, of energy in this world. I mean, we we don't have enough ability to, to, to mine for everything in this entire planet for the demand that we have for transportation, for for laptops, for for phones, for everything, um, without severely impacting the look and the topography of of our planet. And if, that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. And that doesn't mean that technology can't get better or that that won't be a huge part of our, our mix. It, it absolutely will be. It has to be. Oh, but we, that we also means... We need to be investing in recycling as well, right? I mean, right. So, you know, it's still much more expensive to recycle these materials today, but maybe in the future it won't be. So we need to keep investing in those technologies as well. Exactly. And figuring out, you know, and, and honestly, it's a perfect example of why taking advantage of a really easy uh, way to get, you know, a, a, a mineral like uranium um, out of the ground uh, in a way that would be non-invasive, we should take every chance we can get to, to get those easy wins for our planet. And uh, if we can't, say yes to those then what are we going to say yes to right uh it seems like we're just uh always no 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 if we if it impacts us in any way or if it's in our backyards but we're yes when it doesn't affect us at all um but it does impact somewhere so i guess the last the last kind of question that i have and and this is kind of what i want the listeners to 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 leave with is when we talked last week about this issue, you know, you brought up how important the environment is to you and to the company, but also just how involved you are in, in protecting these sorts of similar spaces in Utah and in Colorado. You obviously mentioned your time in the Grand Canyon. Can you just quickly, I think a lot of people would say, okay, well, sure, he's, what he's saying makes sense, but he's just, uh, you know, an executive at an energy company living in a city and probably doesn't really have a personal stake in this. It seems like you do based on our conversation. I would love for you to just share that so that people have an understanding of kind of the the balanced view that you're trying to come at with this. Well, yeah, it, 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 yeah, it, it, I'm not just, yeah, you know, again, I'm not doing it just to, you know, try to put a veneer on any of this at all either. I mean, this is something I've been passionate about my my whole life. And so, yeah, I mean, I already talked about some of the probably the most meaningful moments of my life was was floating the Grand Canyon and just dropping out of the world for, <laughs> for, you know, weeks on end and floating down and, and all the, I'm just seeing the, 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 just the natural beauty of God's creation. I mean, you're, it's just, it's, it's mind blowing. And, and again, I would encourage you and any of your listeners to take a trip down there just to see it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I serve on the board of, uh, of, a you know, of a, a, it's a, you know, nonprofit that uh that supports national parks in the region of you know southeast utah and eastern utah that's arches national park and canyonlands national park uh hovenweep national monument and natural bridges national monument you know we we raise money to to support the park service uh in ways like you said it's hard to get funding for these things um and so we we raise private money to try to support the uh the parks and it may seem like a a paradox or a contradiction or you know, a uranium executive to be, you know, serving as I'm actually currently president of the board of this of this nonprofit to to have these experiences and to you know to go out and experience these 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 regions and these landscapes of my own. I mean, it's a uh, um, it's something that I'll be doing long after I'm not in this industry anymore because 
we got to protect these places for future generations. And uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It, it's a, it's it's a it's a wonderful opportunity I have. Yeah, and I would tell you that you know before I got into this space uh, so heavily, I was pretty adverse to mining, oil and gas, all the different things that sounded really bad. And um, you know, I obviously still have concerns over so many different things around environmental issues. But the people that, well, obviously, the facts that have you know that are around these things that don't get talked about are important. That's what we talked about for for most of this episode, but also the human aspect is really important. And there's this kind of belief of this evil bad guy at the top of the mining company that just wants to destroy the environment. I think of like uh, the equivalent of the movie Rango where there's like this, the mayor is hiding all the water because they don't want anyone to have it because they are going to get all the money. I, from I love that movie. Starting out. <laughs> it's a great movie. Um, 10 out of 10, one of the best animated movies. Yes. But uh that's just not how it is. And, you know, I've talked to, you know, your CEO and you at, at, at length about this and, and on uh, many other executives at similar companies. And one of the reasons that you're involved in this is because you know this space so well. You care about this, this planet and, this, and the environment that you're well, and working I with. Cut, so and I, I want to cut you off. And that's not just us. This is all, I right. don't want to take all the credit for this or our CEO. This no, is I know, it's the all industry. the way down the organization. Right, and so th this is a this is an ethic, and I think a, just a point of view that everybody has in an organization. Nobody, well, even when I toured the mine, nobody uh, wants to you destroy know. the environment. Nobody, you know, these, you know, right. I live in Denver, like you said, but like our mill in Utah. I mean, those people live out there, right? They don't want to destroy right. I mean, their meeting home. With Logan, yeah, meeting with Logan at the mill, yeah. you know, a couple of months ago, you know, asking him what he does for fun on the weekends, right. and it's it's everything's outside. Yeah, everything is out in yep. in nature. Yep. So. There's a deep connection for people at Energy Fuels in the industry, and they they want to find a way to balance environmental protection with the demand that we have mm -hmm. for clean energy at the same time. Exactly. And uh, and I appreciate your leadership on that. I appreciate you coming on and talking about this so candidly. I know it's been a hectic few weeks, so fitting in time for this is is much appreciated. And uh, and hopefully this helps our audience understand kind of the, the difficulties behind these conversations but also the opportunity that there lies ahead we just need to be a lot more sensible about it and uh you've been leading from the front on that so i appreciate it well, i really appreciate your uh your having me on benji awesome and before we jump the coming clean podcast is grateful to be powered by orsted a wonderful company strengthening america's energy security with reliable and domestic clean energy through its integrated renewable energy solutions, Orsted is creating American jobs, investing in American communities, and driving American innovation, all while preserving our country's natural habitats. A clean energy future truly connects us all, and Orsted is helping lead the charge. To learn more, visit us.orsted.com.